And that's the focus we need to have, the great name of Jesus. I hope you brought a Bible with you this morning. If you did, I want to invite you to turn to Romans chapter 8. I'm going to be a little slow turning pages these days. I hope you be patient with me. Um, It's time for a new Bible. And some of you will understand what I'm about to say. I am with a tattered, falling apart Bible like some of you are with a tattered, falling apart flag. They need to be respectfully retired uh, rather than being allowed to disrespect themselves by coming apart in public view. And so uh, my Bible that I had been preaching out of for about 15 years, a little over 15 years, more like 16 or 17, uh, has been retired to a shelf and a new Bible has emerged, and so I'm going through the process of trying to unstick all the pages and, and get used to the fact that it's, it, it, the page numbers are different. <laughs> because something else occurred, and that is that we went to larger print. And so it, the page numbering is different. It's heavier. It's a little bit bigger. But as I told my wife, I pray that by God's providence, this will be the Word of God that I hold in my hands until such time as He no longer gives me breath to proclaim His truth. I know Christmas has come and gone. New Year's has come and gone. Just out of curiosity, anybody still have their Christmas decorations up at home? Y'all need to get with the program. I'm just telling you now. No, I, I know everyone has their own plans and their own calendar and, and all of that, and It's come and gone, and even if your decorations are are up, the gifts have been unwrapped and shared, and and, uh, paper's been thrown away, bags and bags and bags of papers, and cardboard boxes by the dozens. New Year's Eve came, New Year's Day went, and now here we are. We're five days in to a new year. A lot of people at New Year's are trying to figure out the best course to take with their lives. We always want to start the new year right. We want to get things set on the right course, going the right direction. So we make resolutions, we make decisions about how we're going to do things, how we're going to live, what we're going to watch, what we're going to read, what we're going to eat, how we're going to exercise, all manner of things. But this morning, I want us, I want us to look at something a little different. I remember one year as a child, Christmas had come and gone, New Year's had come and gone, it was just before we were going back to school, and mom declared it was take down the tree day. Now, this was back in the day when the tree was live, and so taking it down did not include a box, it included getting it out to the curb where the city would come by and pick up live trees, and so it went to the curb bearing tinsel and all kinds of stuff. We just got the ornaments off of it. But I remember doing that, and as we pulled the skirt up from around the base of the tree, there in the back was a little box still wrapped. I mean, for me, it was like Christmas all over again! (laughs) Except it didn't have my name on it. It had my mom's name on it. And that evening when my dad came in from work, I remember seeing my mom hug my dad in a way I hadn't seen in, I don't know that I'd ever seen it in my early years. 
because he had bought her some jewelry and he just thought he had lost it. And so he had gone and gotten something else, much less, at the last minute. But there it was. And you know, it just that's always stuck in my head because I think, you know, there may be something good about having some leftover gifts. And so I decided this morning, as I was reading a couple of weeks ago in Romans chapter 8, I decided that this morning I wanted to share with you some extra gifts. In fact, I want to share with you three gifts that I, I think every believer ought to embrace going into this new year. And if you had, did not or have not received these three gifts, I pray that you will. If you have them, but you say, well, I've never really thought about it that way, I hope that you'll begin to think about it that way, and I hope that you will embrace these gifts. In order to find them, we've got to read a part, a portion of Paul's letter to the Romans. The 8th chapter. Now, I just want to tell you, the 8th chapter of Romans is one of the greatest theological treatises that's ever been written. Uh, We could spend months just in this 8th chapter. And I can see the excitement and enthusiasm running across your faces as I say that. And so, instead of doing that, we're going to just take a, a glimpse at these verses. And please understand, I'm not going to do these verses justice But I want us to learn what we can. Romans chapter 8. If you've got your Bible open there, I encourage you. Find verse 32. Paul has been writing about everything that God has been doing and how he has blessed his people. And and now he's talking about who we are in Christ and what God has done in Christ. I'm sorry, y'all just busted me here. Give me a second. To see God's people rise for his word without being asked. That does something for me. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 32. Paul is writing about God. He says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Hear the word of God. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning I ask you, as we spend these moments together, that you just speak to our hearts. Lord, we we sang together, open the eyes of our hearts. That's my prayer. 
that our, our hearts would be open and responsive and receptive to your word. Teach us to see life through a different lens. Teach us to live this life in a different fashion. Father, teach us to be a people whose lives, words, actions, and activities bring honor and glory to our Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we pray and ask these things. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. In these verses from Paul's letter, God clearly outlines, I believe, for us three gifts that each one of us needs to gift to ourselves. You see, you can't depend on me to give it to you. You have to gift it to yourself. And I know that's kind of an unusual or an odd thought. Most of us don't think about getting a gift for ourselves. But, but here's the reality. God has made these available. He offers them to you. If you receive them, you are gifting them to yourself. Three gifts. Three gifts that we need to claim, we need to grab, we need to hold on to with all of our might, with all of our strength. And I just want to show them to you. You have to decide what you're going to do with them, if anything. Keep your Bible open, Romans chapter 8, we're not going to leave this place, all right? But let me just share these three gifts with you. The, the first gift, if I get turned on here, will work, is you need a cross to cling to. And I know a lot of people say, well, I didn't see anything in there about the cross. Then you didn't pay attention to verse 32, where Paul tells us about God who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. What did he deliver him over to? To life on this earth and death on the cross. Listen, I know we live in an uncertain world. That becomes more and more clear to us every day, does it not? Everything around us is in a state of change, and it is happening at an ever-accelerating pace. The increase of knowledge, of technology, of science, of medicine in the past several decades is mind-boggling. More has happened in the last 40, 50 years than had happened in centuries before that. Communication. We have 24-hour news cycle. You know, I, I, I tell you what, I wish things were more like they were when I was a kid. And I know you start saying, you sound like an old man, preacher. I do. But can I tell you something? I long for the days where in the morning, if you turned on the news, do you know what you got? The farm report and the weather. That was it. That was all there was. And in the afternoon, if there was anything, there was like a 10 or 15 minute news blurb in the middle of the day. That was it. At 5 o'clock, the news with Walter Cronkite. And it wasn't opinions. It wasn't slant here, slant. It was just, here's what happened during the day. Here's what happened while you were away at work. Here's what happened while you were away at school. Now it's 24-hour news cycle. Something happens on the other side of the world, and it's breaking news here within a minute or two. Everything is known. Everything is out there. And it makes our world seem as if it is convoluting at an incredible pace, and it feels like the wheels are about to spin off, and everything is about to come apart. There are a lot of great changes, but there are also a multitude of changes that leave us reeling every day. Let me tell you what you need to do, folks. Remember this. 
we have a certain and sure and unchanging God. There is one thing that never changes. There is one thing that has never altered and it never will. And that is this amazing God that we serve and that we've come here to worship. He has this incredible love for the mankind that he created. In spite of our sin, in spite of our unloveliness, in spite of the things that we sometimes do that even make some of us scratch our heads and say, what in the world were they thinking? God loves us in spite of it. That doesn't change. Why? Because he doesn't change. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. That's the reason he could say to Moses, I am. Not I was, not I will be, not I'll become something when you figure it out. No, I am. I always was, I always am, I always will be because I am. He is in the present. He is God. The cross of Calvary. The cross is a certainty. Oh, listen, it's a historical fact. It is documented not just by the gospel writers for our record, but it's also recorded by historians of Roman and Greek nationality as well. The the crucifixion of Christ outside of Jerusalem is a well-documented fact. Now, there's a lot of debate and argument about what happened after the crucifixion, but the fact that he died on a cross, a Roman cross outside of Jerusalem, that is not open to historical debate. That is settled even by a secular world. But let me tell you what the secular world does not understand. At that cross, When Jesus laid down his life, God made the ultimate sacrifice for me and for you. Did you see what what Paul said? What did it say in verse 32? For us all. It doesn't matter what color the skin is. It doesn't matter what language a person speaks. It doesn't matter what nationality they call themselves by. He gave his son up for us all. And this unchanging God who loves us is drawing us to himself. And my friend, I want to tell you something. One of the best gifts you can give yourself this year is a cross to cling to. Remind yourself on a regular basis how much God loves you. That he loves you so deeply that he gave his son as a sacrifice to pay for your sins. That he gave his son to become your redeemer, to buy you back from the bondage of sin. That he gave his son to carry the price and the penalty that would be upon you were it not paid by him. You need a cross to cling to. Let's not stop there. I told you there were three gifts. Here's a second gift. You need a truth to hold on to. Now, I know that there are a lot of people who say, well, that could be just about anything. Well, in today's world, that's probably correct. Because, you see, we live in a world that says you make up your own truth. We've stopped teaching and believing in moral absolutes. We have stopped hanging on to the fact that right is always right and wrong is always wrong. I want to just tell you something. To those of you who are parents and grandparents, the greatest gift you can give to your children and your grandchildren is to teach them moral absolutes. Right is always right. Wrong is always wrong. Those don't change. The world will try to tell them it is. Listen, 
you knew we had reached the brink of idiocy. Whenever it's reported in the news and it's national stuff, when someone says, well, I'm just telling you my truth. If your truth is not the truth, you ain't got no truth. Truth is always true. Right is always right. Wrong is always wrong and falsehood is always false. But instead, our culture has embraced situational ethics, moral relativity. We're just, if it feels good, do it. If it makes you happy, that's all that matters. What you do to yourself, it doesn't affect anybody else. Can I just tell you something? I just quoted you three of the biggest lies out of the pits of hell you'll ever hear in your life. Unfortunately, our culture, our society has embraced that as truth. They've made that their choice. And do you realize that we are watching and living the results of those choices right now? We are. I can't figure it out why it doesn't seem to bother some people. Whenever the news reports tell us about 13 and 14-year-old boys stabbing women to death in parks in our cities. In what world is that okay? In what way is that right and acceptable? I can't figure it out why anybody would think it would be okay to walk into a building like this one, sit down with a sawed-off shotgun, decide I've seen enough, and get up and start shooting people. Where did that ever become right? In what world, in, in, in what parallel universe is that okay? Dare I say it, you want an explanation for these things, look no further than moral relativity and situational ethics. Because you see, through those two gifts of mankind to themselves, we have begun to see the decline and the dissolution of the family unit. And with that comes a lack of parental involvement in the lives of children with that lack of parental involvement comes lack of parental guidance and teaching and therefore we begin to slip further and further from our moorings of right and wrong we decided we didn't need faith in the public square we don't need to talk about religious things in our in our public places that just needs to stay inside the walls of the church we don't want to have things that remind people that there's a God. I just remember sitting in, in, in amazement after I received a phone call from a school superintendent who said, I just wanted to call and let you know we're taking down the copy of the Ten Commandments in our school hallway. Why is that happening? Well, we need to separate this state body from religious function. Folks, I'm not the one who's going to sit here and argue constitutional issues with you, but can I just tell you something? 
I don't see in what world it is ever a bad thing to teach children not to lie, not to steal, not to kill. It just kind of makes sense to me that maybe there's something good in those teachings that can be worth more than separating a couple of institutions. It just keeps going on and on. Listen to the uncivil discourse of our day. We live in a culture that's grown less and less kind and compassionate. We've, we've grown more and more heartless and cruel and cold. It just seems like it, it's happening moment by moment. But let me give you some good news on top of all that bad stuff, all right? Those of us who know Christ know the real truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He went on, listen, Jesus made it very clear. He's it. If you want to know what the way is, meet Jesus. You want to know what the truth is, meet Jesus. You want to know what life is, meet Jesus. Now, there's an important thing about truth that a lot of people have forgotten. And I want you to hear it from me. If you've forgotten it, remember it this morning. In John chapter 8, verse 32, what did Jesus say about truth? You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. See, everybody in the world wants to tell us, if you believe in Jesus, then you're getting all religious. You get all religious, they're going to tell you what you can and can't do. It's all about rules and regulations and rituals. No! Jesus said, I'm the truth. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I am not restricted by Jesus Christ. I am set free by Jesus Christ. I am free to live a life that is a part of all the stupidity and the ignorance that will destroy me. I am free to live a holy life that sets me apart. People say, he's weird. Yeah, I'm weird. Guess what? We're okay to be weird, folks. The Word of God tells us we're called to be a peculiar people. I always love that word. Some of us are more peculiar than others. But that's what we're called to be. Peculiar, different, unlike the world around us. What's the truth that we know? Romans chapter 8. Here is the truth that we know. Just look at verse 35. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Here is your truth. No matter what the world becomes... No matter what the world may throw at you, no matter what the world may do, if you are living in Christ and you are walking with Christ, you are going to be victorious because He cannot be defeated and you cannot be separated from Him. That's the truth you hold on to. Listen, I watched the video at the beginning just like you did. Was last year memorable? For some people it was. But the next screen, you remember, was it forgettable? For some of you it was. But it doesn't matter whether it was a good year or a bad year by the world standards. I've decided I'm going to measure my years not by the world standards but by God's standards.
And if I'm living in him and walking with him and I cannot be separated from him who cannot be defeated, then I am going to be victorious. Good and bad don't have to make your day. Your days already ought to be made by Jesus and your relationship with him. In all these things, all the things he just mentioned, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. By the way, Paul had experienced all of these things. He says, in spite of all of these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. That's a truth to hold on to. Hold on to Jesus and live your life in his victory. He will not be separated from you. Nor will you be separated from him. But I told you there were three gifts. Let me get to the third quickly. Here's a third gift you can gift to yourself. You need a Lord to look to. Friends, hear me out. I understand that the world we live in, the culture we are a part of, the society that we are part of, rejects the concept of lordship. We don't like the word submission. We don't like the word authority. Because submission means that somebody is beneath someone else. Authority means that someone is over someone else. Lordship means that we are submitted and under authority. We definitely don't like that concept. And our world scoffs at this concept of a power that is unseen with human eyes. I've had people tell me, you show me Jesus and I'll believe. What a foolish way to condemn oneself to hell. You remember what Jesus told Thomas? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. You see, this is why it becomes faith. It's not a matter of the eyes, it's a matter of the heart. It's not a matter of the mind being able to say, I saw and I recognize. It's a matter of the Spirit of God moving and saying, this is the truth. Show me your Jesus and I'll believe. I can explain to you how I have seen Jesus at work in my life over the last 20 years in ways you wouldn't even begin to comprehend. And sometimes I know that he does things and I'm so ignorant, I, I miss it. Our world ridicules the idea of an almighty God who who is over all and and greater than all the world's inhabitants and institutions. And our world would teach you to look deep inside yourself. Listen, I've I've read the books that are being promoted and handed out door to door by the cults. You're a God. (laughs) No, you're not. You can become like God. No. Jesus is a created being. Lie. I mean, we can sit here and go, I go all day long with this. All you got to do is read the books for yourself. You can pick out the lies, but I would encourage you not to read them if you're not strong in your faith and don't know the Word of God. Don't look inside yourself for what you need. Look outside yourself to God. And let him change you. Listen, as as believers, and I I realize when we're in a room like this, we've got this many people here. I know that there are a lot of born-again believers in Jesus Christ. I also am firmly convinced there's some people here who aren't. 
and you're here to check it out, you're trying to figure out what's this guy talking about, what's this whole thing about, that's okay. I'm glad you're here. There may be some who are sitting here who aren't sure, but they don't know what to do about it because, well, they've convinced everybody they're a Christian, so now what's going to happen? What are people going to think if I say I'm not? What? Let me just tell you something. If you're a believer, you have a Lord to look to. But I got some good news for you, too. He's not just your Lord. He's your Savior. If you don't have a Lord to look to, you need a Savior. You've missed out on the gift he wants to give. And I want you to understand that as difficult as it may be, because Jesus is unseen at this time, please hold on to this truth. One day, one day, every eye shall behold him when he comes in his glory. He may be ridiculed in this age, and those who serve him may be oppressed, they may be attacked, they may be persecuted, but it still is his desire to save those who have not yet believed. I don't have any power within myself because I have Christ in me. That's all the power I need. Now, I know a lot of folks are probably sitting there saying, well, that's good preacher talk. But I'm not sure I buy it. Let me explain to you how this works with Jesus, all right? There's a lot of it I don't understand, a lot of it I can't explain, a lot of it that I'm, I'm struggling to make sense of just like everybody else is. Just because I stand up here doesn't mean I have all the answers. But let me tell you what I do know. Those who believe that he is the Son of God... Believe the truth of the gospel that he came as a man, born of a virgin, lived a perfect, sinless life, went to the cross as a perfect man, but that perfect man took upon him all the sin of the world so that when he died on the cross, he paid the price for it. Believe that he died on that cross, but on the third day he rose again by the power of the Father. And today, after ascending into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of majesty where he intercedes on our behalf every day. You can be saved. In fact, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you something. There's not anything else I can give you that can get the job done because here's the bottom line according to God himself. There is no other name given among men by which you must be saved. Jesus is it. That's why he could say, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. There is no other. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you believe that, if you believe that, if you receive that gift, if the Spirit of God draws you and you respond in an affirmative fashion saying, I want to be that child of God that he's calling me to be. He'll make you a new creation. He'll make you into something you've never been before. You're going to say, well, I'm not sure I want to be different than I am. Then God's not calling you. I've had people look at me and say, well, you know, I was saved, but nothing changed. You weren't saved. I'm just telling you, the Word of God says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things are passed away. Behold, everything comes new. God doesn't lie. So therefore, if nothing changed when you were saved, you weren't. But today, Today, he offers you this gift, the gift of life. It's good for all of us. 
I want you to understand the truth that I'm trying to point out to you this morning. We're all sinners. God's word is very plain. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been in church or not been in church. It simply has to do with the fact that you're a human being. We are the family and the lineage of Adam and Eve. Therefore, we are all sinners. And God's word makes it plain. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. To be lost is to be separated from God. To be separated from God is to experience eternal death. And, and that's the reason he tells us the wages of sin, because we've all sinned. The wages of sin is death. We're all dead in our sins. I am so glad that God did not stop that verse at that point. When he said the wages of sin is death. He didn't stop there. He put a comma, but he didn't stop there. Actually, he didn't put a comma. We did that when we translated to English, but that's another story altogether. He said, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the gift that he offers. Listen, I know Christmas has passed. Paper's thrown away, boxes are gone. For many of you, decorations are down. Some of you still got some work ahead of you. But you still have time and opportunity to give yourself some gifts. Listen, I, I, I understand something. Any one of these gifts would be amazing. A cross to cling to, an unchanging truth to hold on to, a Savior, a Lord to look to. Any one of those three would be awesome. But you can have all three today. The question is, what are you going to do with Jesus? Because you see, that's what this eighth chapter of Romans is all about. Is the Son of God. Over the past months, we referred to him as Messiah. Emmanuel. Jesus. The Word. Son. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to call him today. This is for me. He is my Savior and Lord. What will you call him? That can be determined right here and now. Let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, we're going to stand together and sing a, a song of invitation, of commitment, of surrender. I, I want to give you the opportunity. Maybe, maybe this morning through something that's been said, maybe through what we sung together earlier, perhaps through the reading of the Word of God itself, something, some way, somehow the Spirit of God has spoken to your heart and you're looking at yourself in the mirror of your heart and you're saying, I need this, I want this, I, I want to have these things in my life. You can. You can. But let me just tell you something. It's a gift of grace. And grace comes on the condition of repentance. And today, if you would confess to the Lord that you are a sinner, repenting of that sin, turning from it and saying, Lord, from this day forward, I'm following you. I'm going to live life your way. I'm going to honor you with my words, with my actions, with my attitudes. 
I want to be more like Jesus. He'll change you. He'll make you that new creation. He'll adopt you into his family and call you his child. It's not because I told you about it. It's not because we're a church. It's because he's God. And you're his creation. And he wants a relationship with you. If you're ready for that, in just a moment when we stand and begin to sing, I want to invite you. Come take me by the hand and say, Pastor, I want that relationship. I won't embarrass you. I won't put you on the spot. But I'd love to share with you how you can become a child of God today. Maybe you're just searching, trying to find your way, and you just want someone to pray with you. Come, I'll pray with you. You don't even have to tell me what it's about. I'll pray with you. Maybe you just need to talk to God right where you're at. Maybe, maybe there's someone right there sitting on your right or your left that came in the door with you and, and there's something you need to, to get square with them. You can do that. I'm just asking you, start your new year by giving yourself a gift that will bless you throughout the course of the year. And the best gift you can give is to give your heart to Christ today. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the challenge that it presents. Sometimes in trying to understand, trying to figure out how to apply it, but knowing that it's truth. If we'll stay in it, if we'll allow your spirit, you'll speak to us, you'll teach us, you'll show us. Father, I pray for us in this room. We don't know what we have left before us, perhaps a day, perhaps a year. Perhaps another decade. You know the times. You know the days, the hours, the minutes, the seconds. Father, all I know is I can say from my heart, my desire is that whatever I have left, that it be used to honor you. Father, I pray that would be the desire of every person in this room. But in order for that to be true, then there are some hearts that need to be surrendered to you for the very first time. People who need to be born again. They're brothers and sisters in Christ who need to find their way back to a growing, thriving, vibrant relationship with you. I pray for them. Father, may your spirit do a work in them this morning in these moments. Lord, I pray that each one of us, no matter what our situation might be, no matter what it is you're calling us to or leading us to, I pray that you would give us ears to hear, hearts that are open, receptive, responsive. And Father, above everything else, help us to understand in these moments how great and how deep our need for you really is. Be glorified in our lives, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.